in Acts 27. Lord willing, in a couple of weeks, we're going to finish the book of Acts. And what a journey it's been. You know, the book of Acts, if you think about it, is the link between the Gospels and the Epistles. It's how the church went from the Jews to the Gentiles. It's how the church grew from 120 to thousands of believers all around the world. You know, when you read the book of Acts, and as we've gone through it, we've seen the Lord build the church by the providence of the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and by the person of Jesus Christ. You know, I always like to tell people that in one sense, the church is kind of like the Father's, uh, the executive producer, the Holy Spirit is the director, and Jesus is a superstar. I like to say it that way. Because that's kind of how it is. And Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we see it here in the book of Acts. You know, he's building his church. It's not steeples, it's peoples. He's building up his people, he said. And we've seen the way it works. Now, one of the things you'll notice as you go through the book of Acts is that he hones in on Peter uh, for a season and then he hones in on, on Paul right? You know, when you saw Peter step up and the day of Pentecost, this guy that was just a fisherman, not a theologian, he didn't have a degree, he wasn't eloquent, man, but he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he preached on the day of Pentecost, you guys saw the church was born, right? And then God used him to open the door to the Gentiles. But then the Lord raised up Saul and then God used him to fling that door wide open. And next thing you know, the gospel is going to the ends of the earth. And so you might look at the book of Acts and you might think, well, then you have to be like a Billy Graham or whatever, a Greg Laurie. No, what, what he's trying to say by honing in on, on Paul and honing in on Peter is that it's the individuals of the, of the church. That's how God works. It's not like this big conglomerate, right? It's not like well, it's a congregation. Yeah, in one sense, it's us united. But in another sense, it's each and every individual in the church. We're all a different part of the body. And that's why it's cool to learn from Peter. And you learn from Paul. That, that as, as you go through the, all the things you go through, and today we're going to see this crazy storm that he's in when they lose all hope when they think they're going to die, when they think they're done, it's then that God shows up and God does this great work. And we're going to see it's because he's praying and because he's believing. Are you here today and maybe you need the power of God? Maybe something's going on in your life and you're struggling and you feel like there's no hope. You feel like it's over. Maybe it's a ministry. Maybe it's a marriage. You know, whatever. It can be so many things and and, you know, you feel like it's done. And, but, but let me just ask you a question. Can you pray? Can you get on your knees? Are you willing to do that? And then when the Lord gives you a promise, are you willing to believe? Because I tell you what, it doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are, how smart you are, how rich you are, poor, background, it doesn't matter. God can use anyone who completely commits themselves to him. And so we see that in the book of Acts. We're going to see in this journey, remember, Paul here has been in Caesarea. He's been in, uh, uh, in prison for two years. It's not really hardcore prison, but, you know, he is locked up nonetheless. 
and he uh, appeals to, to Caesar because he knows he's not going to get a fair trial in Jerusalem. And so now we're going to see that he's going to begin his journey to Rome. And so we read it in verse 1, And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So, entering a ship of Adramidium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coasts of Asia. Aristarchus, the Macedonian of the Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day we landed at Sidon. Let me pause there for a moment. Here we see Paul uh, begins this journey to Italy. And it's interesting that he's not alone. Look again, verse 1 when it was decided that we should sail to Italy. Now, who's writing, the, who's writing the book? Luke is writing it, and so Luke is with him, huh? He's like, okay, it's time. We, we're going to sail uh, to, to Italy. Um, and then notice also this other individual is with him. Aristarchus is mentioned in verse 2. Uh, he's a Macedonian. He's from Thessalonica. You'll see that he was with Paul in Acts chapter 19. You'll also see that he was a, a fellow prisoner of Paul. It says in Colossians chapter 4. And he was also a fellow co-laborer, a fellow laborer with Paul. You'll see that in his letter to Philemon. And so Paul's not alone. Um, we all need help. Hopefully you're not alone, no matter who you are. Paul was, was, a, was an awesome Christian, but, but he's not alone. You know, not only is the Lord with him, but he has people that are with him on the journey. You're going to see that Paul started the journey as a, as a prisoner. He started the journey as a passenger. He started the journey, we're going to see, as a counselor. And then he kind of continues the journey as a Christian, a solid Christian. And by the time this journey's over, homeboy is the captain of the ship. And that's what God will do when your life, you're faithful. I mean, he'll raise you up and your counsel will be will be true. God will do a great work. You watch. And so we see here in, in verse 3, it says, On the next day we, we landed at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly, gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. And when we had put out to sea, from there we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. And so I, I, we have a map, and some of you probably have a map in the back of your Bible if you ever need to refer to it. But I want to show you guys this map because it's interesting when you begin to look at all the different places that Paul went to. So he started in Caesarea. He goes 80 miles to Sidon. Uh, typically, this would be a 36-day journey. It would be about 2,300 miles. And then they travel over here uh, to Myra. And you see them right there, uh, uh, Nidus. Okay, now watch what happens as they go from, from Nidus. And remember, they're going to the boot of Italy. That's where they want to go. But watch, watch what happens here in, in verse uh, 6. It says, and, and there, there the centurion found an Alexandrian ship. Things change. Sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. And when we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus, 
the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmoni, passing it with difficulty. We came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Alasia. And so some people believe, now when you look at the map right here, that what they were going to try to do was they were going to try to stay inland more. But as they are set sail from Nides, what ends up happening is the wind blows and they come down now to this little uh, island of Crete and they end up, it wasn't really the, the, the plan, but they end up in this place called Crete. And uh, what we find is that Paul then begins to minister to them. In verse 9, it says, Now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, um, the fast being uh, the day of atonement. When out of all the, they had a lot of feast days. One fast day, that was when they wouldn't eat, and they would offer up the blood of uh, of the lamb on that day of atonement. And so, when that comes, now it's winter time. Now you can't sail anymore. Now it's too dangerous. Paul here says, advise them, saying in verse ten, men. I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman or captain and and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means... They could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. And so, like I said, Paul was a prisoner. Paul was a passenger. Now we see Paul was a counselor. And and the thing about Paul, I don't know if you guys are impressed at all by him, but I am. I mean, this guy was in tune with the Lord. This guy was chosen by God. He was in touch with God, right? I mean, and not only was he a man who had the spiritual walk, he had a lot of experience when it came to sailing. He not only had spiritual wisdom, but practical wisdom. He had traveled many times on the sea. According to 2 Corinthians 11.25, he'd been shipwrecked three times, okay? So he knows what's going on, right? And this is what he says, don't go. Don't go, it's too dangerous. It was late September, early October, and Paul perceived that the voyage would not go well. And, you know, here's a guy who'd seen the sea many times. He'd been there, done that. And more importantly, he was in touch with God. But unfortunately, they did not listen to his counsel. And I thought, you know what, let's pause there for a moment because I tell you what, There's a lot of lessons to learn right here in this place. You know, why is it that people don't listen to the godly counsel sometimes? Well, one of the things I think is because we're in a hurry. We're in a hurry, huh? We don't want to wait. I mean, we're in a hurry. You know, we don't want to date. We're in a hurry, you know. We want to get married. How many of you here single people are in a hurry? You're like, hey, I want to get married, you know. A lot of times we have that in our heart. I can't wait, I can't wait. Next thing you know, you know, you, you meet some gal and, you know, just because she's pretty or some guy, just because he has big biceps, a nice Corvette, whatever it might be, 
You know, he's got the bumper sticker. He says he's a Christian. Is he really a Christian? Is he really the one that God has for you? Next thing you know, you don't wait. You get married. And man, you found out you made a huge mistake. Listen, they are about to sail into a storm that is so dangerous, so crazy. And you know, life has a way, we, we all go through storms. A lot of times we go through storms because we're being obedient and we can't stop it. We can't. You know, Jesus, remember in John chapter 6 when he fed everybody the fish tacos? They were all excited about that. They were like, man, these are so good. Imagine how good they were. I mean, they were so good. And they wanted to make him king. So Jesus perceived that they wanted to make him king. He sent his disciples away. He sent everyone else away. And he went and he prayed. You guys remember? He said, I want you guys to go to the other side. He sent them into a storm because when they're in the middle of the storm, they're straining and rowing. And so there are times where, you know, you can't, you can't avoid it. Things will happen in life. And as a matter of fact, things will happen in life because you were following the Lord. You were being obedient. And so... You know, Jesus came walking to them on the sea and he showed his glory and that was an awesome moment for them. But there are other storms in life that you can avoid. This was one of them. Paul said, you know what? We shouldn't go. It's not right. But number one, they couldn't wait. And then number two, they listened to the majority. You know, what we find is the majority is not always right. Who do you need to listen to? The Lord. You know, don't get me wrong. Get godly counsel. Get godly counsel. You know, don't make decisions just you. You know, get godly counsel. But then you take it to the Lord. A lot of times the majority, it's been even said the majority is wrong the majority of the time. And everybody here we see in verse 12, notice again and. Because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there. You know, and the majority said, let's go. But it was not the wrong, it was not the right advice. Whatever you do in life, don't be swayed by the polls or percentages or, you know, stay in, in, the, in that place where, hey, it's because everybody else thinks it. Uh, God's not grading on a curve. Just because Christians do it doesn't mean it's always right. What does the Lord say? They should have listened to the counsel of Paul. You know, before we set sail, let's ask a godly friend. Before we set sail, let's ask God. There's a great verse in Proverbs 24, 6. It says, For by wise counsel you will wage war. And in a multitude of counselors there is safety. See, we're in a war. We're in a war. And so get some wise counsel and, and maybe even ask a few people in a multitude of godly counselors. You know, there's a safety. Don't be in a hurry. Don't just listen to the majority. And then the third reason they didn't listen to Paul is because they didn't really see the comforts and convenience that they wanted to have there in Fair Havens. If you would, let's show the map again. And you'll notice that uh, they're here in Fair Havens. They just want to go a little farther to Phoenix, Arizona. No, I'm just joking, Phoenix. Uh, they just want to go a little farther, you know? And so uh, what happens if you study the word right here, uh, when it talks about this place that they're in, it basically says that the accommodations weren't, you know, to what they wanted. 
it wasn't convenient. They didn't have, what do sailors want? You know, they want casinos. They want to go find the girls. You know, what do sailors, they want accommodations. They want maybe the luxurious hotels. They want it to be comfortable. They want it to be easy. Listen, we can't live life that way. We can't go, you know, the, the, the road of least resistance. We have to go where Jesus calls us to go. We have to be led by Him, by godly men. Don't go asking your non-believers for counsel. Ask the Lord for counsel. It says right there, and because the harbor was not suitable to winter in. The word in the Greek language translated suitable, it's where we get our word accommodations. The accommodations weren't up to par for them. They said, hey, let's just go a little farther. And, And what we find in life a lot of times is that people make their decisions based on what's convenient rather than just, Lord, what's obedient? What, what do you have to say? And, and, and what we find is that these whole people, this whole, it's, they're going to learn a lesson. You know, there were no movie theaters or golf courses or nice restaurants in Fairhavens, but that's where God wanted them to be. But then the day of disaster comes, they feel a soft wind blowing, and, and then, you know, you're thinking, oh, it's the right time. And you rage against all wise counsel. In verse 13, it says, When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind called Euroclidon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Claudia, we secured the skiff with difficulty. And when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. And fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis sands, they struck sail and so were driven. Because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and and no small tempest beat on us. In other words, it was a huge storm. The the Greek word here is where we get our word typhoon. I mean, it was the enemy. It's not just the, the winds and the waves. It's the devil. It was a crazy storm. And it beat on them. Notice what he says. All hope that we would be saved was finally given up. And so they just want to go and do their own thing. You know, they, they're, in, they, they're in a timetable. My, my clock is ticking, you know. They, they're in a hurry. They, they, it's not co- comfortable right here, you know. Everybody's doing it. I mean, it's acceptable, right? In, in, you know, in man's eyes. And, and so they go against the council of Paul. And and what ends up happening, man, the wind just then shifts and all hell breaks loose. And they find themselves in the storm of a lifetime that they should have never been in. You know, when we're reading about this in Acts 27, we're reading about Paul's journey to Rome. We're reading we're reading history, what happened. But we're also reading about our life. We're reading about life as a Christian. We're reading warnings. You know, we read just so many things and we learn, right? 
I mean, when you, when you stop and you look about something that's interesting, it says right there that they, that they, they let her drive. And, and when, I, when I think about that right there, to me, I, I kind of think of, well, I, maybe I shouldn't say anything about female drivers. I was just thinking it's the female gender in the Greek language. Anyways, all I know is that they were lost. They were lost, right? But they're fighting. You know, they're fighting. They're trying. They're doing everything they can. They're girding, uh, you know, the, the, the skiff, and they're tying cables around the hull to strengthen it. But what, what's happening is things are just getting worse. You know, we try. We do what we can. And I'm not saying you shouldn't try and do your part, but, you know, it's not helping, really. They, they continue to travel south, and they're worried about the sandbars of Sirtis and and so they just they strike the sail. It gets bad. They start lightening the load. Uh, they haven't seen stars or sun in days. There's been clouds and raining and storms. I mean, you've probably never been in the deep sea like this. But man, imagine being there. You know. And then you know these are expert fishermen, but they're they're desperate. Uh, they're lost due to this storm. Uh, they gave up all hope. That's what we read. In verse 20, now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. You know, and I don't know if you've ever been there or if you'll ever be there. You know, where in ministry or, or, or your marriage, you know, or something happens in life, you know, and you just, you just don't even want to live. You don't even want to live. And all hope, what is hope? Hope has to do with the future. Hope has to do with something good that want, God wants to do in the future. And, and you're like, I have no future. This marriage has no future. This ministry has no future. This journey has no future. They lost all hope. You know, and, and that's, that's a tough place to be. You know, I don't know if you've ever been there. You know, maybe some of you here, and it's kind of a bummer when you talk to people, even people that come to church service, and they reach a point sometimes where they don't want to live. And I talk to them a lot, a lot, suffering from severe anxiety or depression. And, And I can't take away that feeling from them. But one of the things that I always encourage them to do is just, I can't, I can't say that you don't feel that way, but can you pray? Can you get on your knees? You know, and that's the key. I, I think, and I was listening to Damon Kyle in a study right here, I think in, in one sense, and I don't know how it all works, but in one sense, Paul was part of that. He says right there, for many days, verse 20, and, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. You know, Luke's writing this. Paul's probably thinking this. You know what? It doesn't look good. It doesn't look like we're going to make it through. But you know what? We will continue to pray. And that might be the way that you feel about your, your, your children. Maybe you feel like all oh, hope is lost no it's it's not but you feel that way sometimes you know when i see the homeless people you know come in and the other day i'm driving down you know lower azusa and i see this guy 
you know, sleeping on the sidewalk. Or, you know, I'm getting off the freeway of Santa Anita, sometimes on Sunday mornings, and, and I see them there, the homeless people, and I'm like, Lord, I just want to help them so much. I just want, Lord, how, how can we really make a difference? And sometimes you get a feeling like you can't. You can't. I don't know what to do. Should we give them money? Should we put them in a, in a motel? Should we rent a big building and have them all live there? But no, it's a deeper issue than that. It's deeper than just, you know, securing the, 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 you know, the, the, the sails and, you know, tying the ropes around the, the ship. It's got to be God. And so, what can you do? Lord, I don't know. I don't know yet. But Lord, I'm praying. Because I see that guy Derek right there, and he's hooked on crystal meth. And I see the other guy come in, and he's asking for a Bible every week. And I wonder, I remember the first time he came in and he asked for a Bible. I wonder, I wonder what he wants to do with it. You know, maybe he wants to sell it, but it's okay. We'll give him a Bible. And then, you know, a few days later, we see him out there. He's reading it. He's reading it. But then he keeps asking every week, and I'm like, okay, maybe he's giving it to his friends. I don't know. But you know, well, what can we do? I don't know yet. I don't know yet. But I'm praying. And you're praying. And that's where Paul was in the middle of all this stuff, man. What's he doing? He's praying. And even though all hope, you know, they think this is over, it's done. He, he prays, and then watch what happens in verse 21. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Man, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and, and loss. He's saying you, you should have listened to my counsel. What's he saying? I told you so. Right? Don't you guys hate to hear that? But that's what he's saying. He's saying, I told you. You know, it's a lesson. It's a lesson. If you would have listened to me, then you wouldn't have experienced this. And so he says, I I told you so. But in verse 22, he says, and now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has, here it is, granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men. Here it is again. For I believe, I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. He just kept praying. And she just kept praying for her unsaved spouse. And he just kept praying for his unsaved wife and his unsaved kids. And they just kept praying for their co-workers And they just kept praying for their family, their neighbors, their friends. They just kept praying for all the people on their ship. That's what Paul was doing. He uh, he was praying, even though it seemed like, you know, it didn't seem like it was going to happen, like God wasn't going to answer that the ship was sunk. 
you know, the, the day comes and uh, it's so cool that, that he tells them, don't, don't lose heart. You know, there, no one's going to die. The ship will be destroyed. But this night, an angel of God to whom I belong, he, he came and he stood by me. And he told me not to be afraid because we're going to make it to Rome. And so he says, I believed what God told me. And what we find when you look at life, and you guys have to understand what the Bible says. If you disobey, if you don't live and listen to godly counsel, you're going to go through unnecessary storms. And so I, I encourage you to know that, you know, there is a, a price to pay for disobedience. But also, you know, as you're praying through these storms, there's encouragement, you know, and, and you might lose a ship that you shouldn't have lost, but thank God there's hope in the sense that he, here he spares their life. And, and it's so cool. He says, I believe. He's not naming it and claiming it, blabbing it and grabbing it. No, he's just believing in the promises of God. You know, we don't tell God what to do, but we can ask God. We can pray, and Paul had been praying for them all. We're going to see later in verse 37 that there were 276 people on board. And, and so uh, what we find right here is Paul had been praying, and God showed up, and God answered his prayer. How is your prayer life, if you don't mind me asking? You know, I want to encourage you in that. It's probably the toughest thing in the whole world, your prayer life. Why? You know, because you got to wake up and watch the news, make some bacon and eggs, iron your clothes, get ready for work, and you go to work, and you work hard, and you come back, you're on the freeway, hit some traffic, you go home, you got to do the laundry or whatever, you have to, you know, do the lawn. You know, you watch a little TV, you spend some time with the kids. You get tired, you run out of gas, you go to bed, you do it again the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and whatever it is that fills your agenda, fills your life, and you find yourself too busy to pray, you know, I don't know. I don't know if, if you want what God wants for your life, but if you do, then you will never receive what God wants for your life unless you're broken and you fall to your knees and you come to that place of prayer. Because when that angel showed up that day, he told Paul, he said, God has granted you what you've been asking all along. Wouldn't it be cool if one day God showed up in your place and he stood by you and he said the same thing because you have been faithful in your prayer life. And then when you hear the word and you hear the promises of God, you know, you, you don't doubt, but you, you believe. You're like, hey, the Lord said that this is going to happen. Paul here said, and I believe, God, that it will be just as he has said. You know, I always trip out when the Lord was in Nazareth and, and the Bible says that he marveled at their unbelief, and he could do no mighty works there. You don't want to limit God. I, I encourage you. If I could, if I could limit, if I could say, what's the most important thing in your life? 
I'll probably say, first you give your life to Christ. This so cool after first service, a, a young lady came forward because God had touched her heart through the message. And she said, I don't know how to do it, but I want to give my heart to Jesus. And she did. She said, I want to open my heart to Jesus. And I said, you know what? Your heart's already open." And we led her in a prayer, but I told her, the prayer doesn't save you, faith saves you. And wherever you are, here today, you might find yourself struggling. And if you're honest with God, you know you don't have a relationship with God. Either that or you know you're not right with God. All you have to do is come back to Him. All you have to do is repent, receive, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ who died and rose again. It's His shed blood that washes away your sins. And here we see Paul, you know, as, as he's in the church and God's building the church, and God's using him, and God will use you. God will use you to, to you know, keep that ship afloat. God will use you and sanctify the home. Just like God used Paul and God began to do a work in them. In, in verse 27, it says, Now when the fourteenth night had come up, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. You know, they could hear it in the waves. They've been around, so they knew they were getting close. And so they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms, which somewhere between 120 and 150 feet, and when they had gone a little farther, they took soundings again, found it to be 15 fathoms, which is 90 feet. And then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern. Notice it says they dropped four anchors and prayed. You see, they prayed now because God was moving in the ship. God was moving in these people. Verse 30, and as the sailors were seeking, seeking to escape from the ship when they had let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. And then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and, and let it fall off. And what do we find here? Paul started the journey as a prisoner, as a passenger. He started the journey as a counselor, and then he continues as a Christian, a solid Christian. That's all we're asking, man. Just, just be Christians who pray, who believe. And then what ends up happening? He's the captain. Now he's the captain. These other guys are trying to leave, and Paul says, oh, no. Go tell those guys to get back up here. We can't make it unless everybody here is on the same page. And so it's interesting. Some say, well, maybe it's because they needed their expertise. I don't think so. I think it's just Paul saying, listen, God's got to work for all of us here. Because we've learned already, I think we've learned already that they're not getting saved by men. They're getting saved by God. And so Paul, as the captain is fighting for those souls, those two that were trying to abandon ship, those two that try to leave the church, those two that try to walk away. 
Paul says, get him back up here. Because now the Lord is using him in a greater journey. It's a journey to heaven. I mean, that's what it's about, isn't it? Why, why we live? Why we die? What's going on here? Isn't it that we're on our way to heaven and we want to take as many people with us as we can? Do you remember that that's what it's about? Is that, do you have eyes to evangelize? Do you see people going astray? Will you go get them? Will you do your part in the church? I mean, I have my part, thank God, but man, you guys know that we need everyone to do their part in the body. This is what it's all about, that, you know, you live and then you die, and after you die, you go to either heaven or hell. And it's true for you, but don't just be there and take it in for yourself. You realize that. And I believe that the more you grow as a Christian, the heavier the burden is for all the people that you see. And you're always wondering, man, do they know the Lord? Do they really know the Lord? Wherever you go, Jesus said that his heart was aching because he saw the sheep weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd and his heart was moved with compassion for them. What Paul is doing right here is he's, he's, he's being captain, but it's not just to save them physically, it's to save them spiritually. In verse 33, and as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, today is the 14th day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Now, maybe they were trying to save the food because they thought it would be longer term. Others say maybe they were fasting. And there's a third opinion that say that they would probably throw up if they ate the food. <laughs> I'm not sure. You know, have you guys ever been out seasick? You guys ever been there? It's horrible. <laughs> Anyways, he says in verse 34, Therefore I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he became their example. He took bread, gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. And in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. See, the Lord knew it would, that they would need the strength now because they're about to be uh, thrown into the sea and they need to swim like Michael Phelps. I mean, it's just crazy. So, okay, you guys got to eat. And when it was day, it says in verse 39, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach under which they planned to run the ship, if possible. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea, meanwhile loosing the rudder ropes. And they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, 
kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to the land and the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to the land. And, and when you read the story right here, what we find is that God, he teaches us so many lessons. And, and when you look at this whole thing, what we find is that God used Paul in such a way to save them physically and to minister to them so that they might be saved spiritually. And it, and it came after a point where they had lost all hope. You know, and I don't know where you're at, what juncture you're at in your life. Maybe you're there right now and you're even wondering what the future holds. Remember the Lord's words to Jeremiah in chapter 29 when they were in bondage in Babylon? In Jeremiah chapter 29, he says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. I mean, they were in bondage. It did not look good. They thought their life was over. They thought it was done. And yet God still had life for them. You know, I think of Moses, 40 years of getting, you know, puffed up and learning and thinking he was all that. They say he was a great military leader in Egypt. And then 40 years of being absolutely humble, you know, to where he thought he had no future. But now he's ready. You know, I was listening to a study the other day by Charles Swindoll, and he said, you know, and he's talking to people who are graduating from seminary, and they're going to go out, and they're going to do ministry. And he said, I pray that when you go out, that you won't succeed right away. He said that you'll fail. And, and everybody is like, what? what? You'll fail? will fail? He said, yeah, because he has a lot of wisdom. He said, because if you, if, you, if you first fail, then when God blesses, you'll know it wasn't you. You know, Chuck Smith, 17 years of what the world would consider failure, and that's another issue. Who knows what real failure and success is anyways? But for him, it was 17 years in the refiner's fire. And then God dropped an atomic bomb in the spiritual sense. Maybe that's your life. doesn't matter how old you are. Moses was 80. Maybe you come to that place and you lost all hope. And God says, okay, watch. Watch what I do. I read this quote by Dale Carnegie. It said, most of the important things in the world have been accomplished by people who just kept trying when there was no hope. When it seemed like there was no hope, they just kept trying. And those are the greatest things that have ever been done. And so we see that here in Acts 27. It's not just Paul going to Rome and the journey and some adventure, you know, thing. It's, it's our life, you guys. It's our life. And we learn a lot about storms and listening to counsel, but God's grace and how he comes in and he gives us a second chance. I am so grateful 
that we serve a God of the second chance. And I, and I pray today as we have communion today, my heart goes out to all of you. My, my prayer is that all of us would be in right relationship with God. That you would not hold on to sin. You know, as, as time progresses, we find out more people looking at pornography, more people, you know, getting drunk, more people getting high, you know, more people in sexual sin. And, and it's in the church. And, and it's like, man, I beg of you, get right with God. He's a holy God. And he has plans for your life. He wants to use you like he did Paul. He wants to bless you like you did Paul. But we have to listen to the word of God and to the counsel of his people. And as we do, you know, God does such a great work. My prayer for the church is that we would be right. We're, we're not perfect, but we we can be, you know, people who are set apart and holy and and, and proper. But if you're here today and you're not a Christian, then I pray that today you would open your heart to the Lord. I mean, that, that you would know that when you die, you'll go to heaven. Because there was, a, there was a time where you chose to follow Jesus, where you believed, where you repented, received and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that day he came into your life. That's what he wants to do today. If there's anyone here, I pray you would give your heart to the Lord.